All right, so it's been another week, and it was a long week, and it was a fast week, and it went slow, and it went quickly because time means nothing anymore. Um, I think I always knew that. I think I always knew that time was, you know, just a human construct and that it really has no meaning, but obviously COVID has made it even more obvious um and so now time is even more meaningless it's even more meaningful um everything's important and nothing's important all that good jazz it's monday i tried recording this week's session on saturday because i knew sunday i was going to be way too busy i wasn't gonna be able to do it But of course, Saturday, about like five minutes in, my neighbor started mowing and it was super loud. And so I stopped and then I focused on other projects the rest of the night. So here we are, Um, we're running late, but we're doing it. And that's what counts. Um, I hope that you're feeling worthy. I hope that you're feeling valid. I hope that you feel like sunshine and butterflies and rainstorms and bonfires and sunrises and the smell of pine trees. I hope you're doing good. I hope if you're doing bad, you know that it's not gonna last forever. I hope you know you deserve to do well. I hope you know that other people should be treating you well and that that's what you deserve and i hope that on your worst days you tell yourself that even though everything's terrible and you're not great that you still should treat yourself well so this week um i've really just been thinking a lot about um, adults and family members uh, from my past and in my history that let me down. Um, And I think that that's the right way to say it and phrase it. And I think that that's kind of been hard for me to accept, but that that's what it was is simply that. Um, That's not a condemnation. That's not a write-off necessarily, although obviously there have been people that I have um, put large boundaries up and some people I have cut off. Um, But I think it's important to just phrase it that way and to accept it like these people in my life let me down. And I think that's something that I never really said or accepted. Um, And that maybe that kind of fueled some of my anger. So I think it's good to say it and to see it um, and to know it and then to let that be true and let it lie instead of just festering. Uh, This week was really busy for me and my family. We had a lot of family nights. We had a lot of family projects. And so uh, 
we ate dinner a lot together this week and me and my sister just kind of got talking about odd things that, you know, we remember now. And we even kind of joked, like both of us agree that, um, we have some really fuzzy or blank memories of certain times in our childhood. And so they must've been more traumatic than we realized because neither of us really have uh, memories or well-formed memories of them. So we were just thinking about, you know, the times that, that adults in our lives uh, really, really shocked us or taught us lessons that maybe aren't great. I think the whole thing came up because we were talking about how we're kind of dreading when uh, our our paternal grandparents pass because we think, you know, my dad or the family is going to expect us to come home or to fly back east for the funeral or funerals. And um, neither of us really feel that need. Neither of us want to. Um, and I made the comment, you know, well, funerals are for the living. Dad taught me that. Um, because when my mom died, my dad um, handled most all of her funeral arrangements. Um, they had gotten an annulment. Um, they were separated. But then my mom got sick um, with breast cancer. Um, it had been a long fight. She had you know, kind of had it for one round. Um, she beat it back. She was in remission. And then when it came back the second time, um, it was really draining. And then they did more invasive stuff, but it was, it was just too late or it was her time or it wasn't, but it happened anyway. You know, I don't know. Um, I was a sophomore in college. My sister was a senior in high school. My brothers were both uh, younger. And so uh, my mom ended up moving in with my dad for the last couple of months of her life. And so, you know, they had her hospital bed set up in his farmhouse living room and um, that's where she spent her final days. And it's always been weird to think about because she was the one who initiated the separation. She was the one who wanted independence from my dad. Um, I think the older they got and the older us kids got, they really grew apart. They had different values. They had different ways of thinking and viewing the world. And so my mom was really the one that kind of took the reins she wanted to separate. She wanted to be on her own. And I think um, I think that some of the things definitely me and maybe my siblings had done or said in our younger years kind of really made her want to um, get away from certain values or thoughts and um, set different examples for us. Um. And that's just my own thoughts on it because by the time I was really old enough, 
um, or not even old enough. Cause I feel, you know, I was, I was 20 when my mom passed away. Like I said, I was a sophomore in college. So 19 or 20, uh, but I don't know, like I, it took me that long to kind of think about those things. And then, you know, after her passing, it probably took me two or three more years to maybe really see what her ultimate goals were or to even kind of wonder, oh, I wonder if that was because of me and some of the things that I had said when I was younger that she didn't really like in terms of, um, you know, seeing things as black or, and white or um, being really strictly um, religious in the organized sense and kind of following these rules. And I think she kind of got worried that I wasn't understanding that there were gray areas or that I was losing my empathy because she always told me when I was little that I was a very empathetic child. But I remember us kind of having fights the older we got and her being sort of shocked at the way I saw some things. And I think that was valid. Like when I think about it now, I I don't know if that's ex- part of the reason why she left my dad. I'm I'm assuming and hoping that part of it was also for herself. Um, but I'm fairly certain that um, my actions and the way that I spoke and acted for a while in those hard teenage years kind of kind of also added to that desire to kind of break away um, from the nuclear family, break away from my father, break away from organized religion, um, break away from conservatism. I know we had had a couple political talks where um, I really saw some of her her values and political thoughts changing. And so I think it was kind of a wild and beautiful mix of all of that. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of a rant anyway. So it, it always felt weird knowing that, you know, she spent her last days and weeks and months uh, living with and being cared for by my father, this man who she had a lot of issues with, she had a lot of fights with, she had a lot of animosity towards. Um, I'm sure that their feelings were complicated and messy, Um, but she was pretty clear that she no longer wanted to be with him romantically. I don't think they were ever really good friends. Um, I don't think they were ever really huge sources of comfort to each other beyond like, you know, the momentary comfort of surviving alongside someone who sees what you're going through and is going through it also. And so that's always kind of weighed on me a little bit. There's always these stories about kids who dropped out of college or high school to help take care of their ailing parents, um, or help, you know, with, around the house and with the family. And, uh, no one ever asked me to do that. And, um, I never really thought to do it. I think there were a couple times where I sort of wondered, but that was a hard time. And I think college was an escape for me. So I stayed the course and I stayed in it. Um, I was only about an hour away, so I would always come home on weekends and do homework next to her hospital bed. But 
it's just weird thinking about all those moments when she was dying and the other the only other person in the house while all of us kids were at school was my dad and i wonder what that was really like for her i think she put on a pretty brave face about it or a good show hopefully she was truly at peace with it like she said um because towards the end she did give me I can't really remember conversations or anything but the that was the feeling I walked away with and those were the the final moments where I think she was telling me she was okay but you know uh no one gets to choose how they die and no one gets to choose how they go out. But I guess when you're thinking about it and hoping for the best, um, you wouldn't really want to spend your final, your final section of life being cared for by the person you spent a pretty large amount of time, energy and money, uh, separating yourself from and so when she died and my dad um did almost all of the funeral arrangements uh obviously he asked me or my sister's opinions on some things i i went and helped them pick out the urn because she wanted to be cremated um my dad had me pick out you know the style and everything because uh I don't actually know why. I guess because um, he's always thought that me and my mom had similar styles and eyes and fashion senses, and that's definitely true. But I don't know if he ever really thought that that was a good thing. Um, he would frequently say, you are your mother's daughter. Um, and a lot of times he would say that when we were disagreeing or maybe even straight up arguing. And even when we were getting along, it always felt like he said it in a way that was like, well, it couldn't be me, but, or that's not what I would do, but haha, you are your mother's daughter. Um, so I don't know. I'm sure it's a mix of good and bad for him. I always kind of hated when he said it because as, like I said, they, I, they didn't get along, and I'm sure maybe they loved each other, but love isn't all you need, and I don't think that they were ever really good companions or sources of comfort for each other. So, yeah, and then it was the funeral, and I just remember, I remember telling him, like, this isn't what mom wanted because she had wanted it to be a celebration of life instead of a mourning process or, a, you know, how people say, like, don't, you know, don't be sad because I'm gone. Be happy because we had time together. And so she had wanted to call it a celebration of life. And I think he tried to walk that line, but I remember there just being things that I really didn't like, or I really didn't think mom had wanted. And that's when he told me funerals are for the living. And this is for the people who are living, who want to, who want to say goodbye to your mom. And I do agree 
the funerals are for the living. Obviously, the person who is dead does not care. They do not care about any of it because they aren't here, you know? Even if they did and even if they were here, um, they would have no control. And so, you know, they're gone. Their time is done. And so I don't disagree with the sentiment, but I remember it just once again really feeling like... Um, dismissive or like dad was once again making things about himself making something that wasn't supposed to be about him about him and so we had this huge receiving line and it was like all of his family standing in line I mean like his mom and dad stood in line and received people and my mom's mom and dad actually waited in line to be received by us. And I remember that feeling really shitty. And I don't know what he was doing where he didn't think about that. I'm sure his answer would be he didn't think about it at all. Uh, I remember being in line and telling at least three different people who I was and how I was related to my mom because most of the people who ended up showing up were my dad's friends or co-workers. His co-workers were there. I remember thinking that was so weird. Um, and I was really just disassociated the whole time. You know, uh, I didn't cry. I smiled in people's faces and told them I'm her daughter. I was her daughter. Probably exactly like that, right? Like the first, like she's still present and then remembering she's gone. I remember um, running and laughing with one of my friends to the bathroom because I had to pee so bad because I'd just been standing in the receiving line all day. And there was finally a break between receiving people and the actual ceremony. I remember laughing. Um, almost feeling in good spirits, right? And so I think I was just totally divorced from from what the day was supposed to be or was in honor of. Um, and so all of that to say, you know, that's what my dad taught me. My dad taught me that funerals are for the living. Um and I guess in a way, you know, that's true. And so people need to do what they need to do in order to get closure or feel like they've honored what was lost to them. And so I'm sure he won't like it, or maybe my other family won't like it. But, you know, I, I can grieve my family anywhere. And funerals, I hate them. I hate being at them. I've been at many you know, I have friends still to this day who haven't even lost a grandparent yet. And um, I just feel like I've already sat through my fair share. I think funerals can be very traumatic, especially when you have really fucked up family who make it about them. And that's not even me talking about my dad. That's me talking about a different family member who would come into every funeral sobbing and crying and making a huge display. Um, and I'm not saying that that wasn't her real emotions, but I am saying that um, those were the only times we saw her. She was never around. 
she had really strained relationships with all of her family. And so it always just made me feel sick to my stomach that she would come in and all eyes would be on her and all of the attention would be on her. And she would just be sobbing like she lost something meaningful. And I'm sure in her brain she had, but at the same time, like, we don't know you. You've never been here. So we were talking about that and about how we don't want to go back home just for funerals to be comforts to other people who were not comforts to us or to even mourn people who never really knew who we were or understood understood us or made us feel safe or held or comforted. I just spiraled into us talking about the rest of our fucked up family, like, you know, the aunt I was just talking about who made all of uh, my grandparents' funerals about her. Like, I totally forgot. And I guess my sister said she kind of had too, but then we were both talking about it and we remembered, like, that aunt drove across the whole country without calling my mom first. She was my mom's sister. And she brought her son and her pets and just showed up at our door while my mom was busy fighting cancer and raising four of us kids on her own. And she said she was running away from her um, abusive husband and she needed a place to crash and it caused a lot of tension in our house but obviously my mom took her in she like fought with the principal to get my cousin into school like halfway through the semester um I mean my aunt's pets were fighting with like our dog all the time because you know it was new animals in the house they were just causing constant chaos. I just remember my mom being so stressed out during a time when she shouldn't have been. Uh, my aunt got a job as a baker at the Walmart bakery. She ended up making my graduation cake. And then I kind of barely, you know, these are all like fuzzy memories. And then I know her and my mom, my mom was finally like, we need to have a talk. Like, this is untenable. Like, you know, my kids are suffering, I'm suffering, like your kid isn't happy either because my little cousin and then my baby brother, they were fighting all the time. They were both stubborn. They were both full of anger. They were both young. And so my mom tried to have an honest conversation with my aunt about what needed to be done in order for things to get better in the house. And my aunt took that as like, she got really defensive. And um, instead of just hearing the problems that my mom had and trying to work to do her part to fix them so that we all could be happy and we could continue living together, but also things be a little bit more tenable. Uh, my aunt decided that my mom was throwing her out of the house. And so she packed up all of her stuff, and just as suddenly as she came, she left. And she went back to her husband. And I don't know if her stories were true or not. Maybe they were, but then she just stayed with him. And then when my, when my mom's parents died, you know, she was there. And so was he. And it was like 
she just went back to her life and, you know, on the outside, at least everything was fine. And, you know, like I said, I don't know, maybe it wasn't, but it was all just whiplash and shocking. And then she tried to talk to me and my sister about how, you know, she didn't come to my mom's funeral because she didn't know if she would be welcome. And it was like, she was creating all of these things in her head. And we were so, I mean, we weren't so young, but we were younger and obviously this was new territory. And so we didn't know what to do. And so we just told her like, I don't know, you know, like we're good. Like we don't know, like, and thinking about it now, it's just wild because I barely even remember that that happened, but I know that it was hard. I know it was hard on my mom. Oddly enough, I remember really crystal clear that me and my aunt were like at Blockbuster one day, because yes, those still existed. And she, we were renting movies, but then she reached over into like a $5 bin and she pulled out Underworld. And she said, oh, you'll really like this. And she bought it for me. And that movie kind of traveled with me for a while. Like I never opened it. And then I remember watching it one day in college and being like, why did this woman think that I would like this? You know what I mean? Like there was really, it was like, why did she think that this was a movie that screamed me or my personality? You know, it just felt so odd. Like, And so I think maybe that was one of my first times really realizing that people will just project themselves onto you. People will try to make connections with you that are still based entirely around them and their needs and their attention-seeking behaviors and what they like. Um... Because it was like, this woman doesn't know me at all. Like, whatever. It's not like a bad movie, but I never watched them. Like, uh, I just, it was funny. I just thought it was so odd. And that's one of the things I remember the most about her. And so then later on in my life, I'm out in Oregon now. I'm probably... uh, 25 or 26. I'm nannying and uh, the toddler at the time, the oldest, is napping. And I always sat in his room with him while he napped because when he woke up, if you weren't there, he'd get really upset. And so it was kind of my downtime too. And my phone rings and it's from a county in Ohio um, where I know that my... uh, my uncle, my mother's brother, is from. And a lot of times I still won't answer my phone if it doesn't have a name on it, but for whatever reason, this day I did, I answered it. And it's not my uncle, who I also barely ever talk to. It's that same aunt. And she just kind of starts babbling. I almost had wondered, you know, like if she was of sound mind, like I couldn't tell if she was drunk. Or if she was like in the middle of a mental breakdown. I mean, I just answer hello and she just starts going on and on about all this stuff. Doesn't really ask how I am. Doesn't really ask anything. 
and then um and then just out of nowhere she goes i'm just gonna say it your uncle molested me when i was little you know in the movies where everything slows down and like they bring in the like ears ringing sound i don't know what i'm supposed to say to this We've been on the phone for two minutes. I barely even know who you are. You've come crashing into our lives before. And now with like almost no pretext, you're telling me this. And she ended up telling me like she just told me because she felt like our whole family like just talked bad about her and disowned her. And like that was why. And the shocking thing about all of this was like, my mom almost never talked about her family. She actually would get mad at my dad because she would say my dad's family consumed our whole life and we didn't get to hang out with her side very much. And so it was like, I don't even know you. Like, we aren't talking about you. And, you know, uh, like, obviously I didn't say this part to her. Um, At the time, I tried to be receptive and I tried to be supportive and I tried to speak with her while also being completely shell-shocked but you know it was like i don't know you i don't think about you like why would you just call me out of the blue i mean like i haven't seen you in eight years why would you call me and just say this within five minutes of being on the phone and so and then you know the baby woke up and so she was like i can hear the baby crying like you know like let's talk later And so for a few short weeks, I would call her. I would call her on my way home. Um, She would always tell me not to talk on the phone when I drove, but I was like, well, this is the only time I have to talk. It almost always kind of annoyed me because it was like, you know, (laughs) you're the one who wants contact. You're the one who wants to tell me your story. You're the one who's looking for familial relations on this side of your family you know, I, yes, I understand. Like if you're being irresponsible on the phone or like using your hands or, you know, whatever, like, yeah, it can be dangerous, but also like, I'm not carving time out of my at home time with my at family time to have a long phone conversation with you, right? Like my commute is the perfect time to speak with you and discuss the things you want to discuss without it interfering with my peace because talking to this woman was not a peaceful experience for me. She was seeking closure from me about stuff I didn't even know about or didn't even know if it was true or not. And then she would want to talk about my mom, even though obviously, like I said, like that was literally the last time my aunt had spoken to my mom was when she just up and left after my mom was like, you know, can you like better train your dog or can we work out a schedule so that someone's at home with the kids? Like this is chaos. Right. And then my aunt was just gone and then my mom was dead. And then suddenly my aunt showed back up and was like seeking closure and resolutions through me. But I think I was kind of naive and um, she put me in a position where I didn't want to be the person that sent her over the edge or you know, was yet another family member that let her down or cut her off. And so we talked for a while. Um, I tried to be supportive. She wanted to write a book. She asked me if I would edit it for free. Um, 
I told her that I believed in people getting paid for the work and energy they do, especially women, but I would do it for cheap. And then she was just calling me all the time. And she was wanting to talk about my mom and she wanted to make me like these, uh, I don't know, like crystal necklaces or boards or something that like made her feel peace and connected her to the dead and all this stuff. She's going to send it to me. And it just slowly started being one of those things, you know, where I dreaded seeing her number on my phone. I dreaded talking to her. I didn't want her to send me things. I didn't want to read her book. I didn't want to give her any of my time or energy. And she would tell me stories, not even, and not just about my mom, right? She would tell me stories about her life or she would gossip about other people. And, you know, it was like, it's a 50-50 if these are real, if these were true, Like, I have no idea, but who knows, right? Like, who am I to call you a liar? And so it just became this whole thing of, like, she was just seeking out attention, and it became toxic to me and my mental health, and she was telling me things that I had no idea about, and so I didn't know what to believe and what not to believe. And I remember finally one day I was talking to one of Evan's cousins, who was a close friend of mine, too. And telling her, you know, like, I want this woman to feel like she has support. I don't want her to feel like she's not believed, like, about her brother or about, like, the issues she's gone through, you know, like, mentally. Or I don't want her to think that, like, her dreams aren't valid. Um, but, like, I dread this. I I hate talking to her. It, it's, it's exhausting. And she's bringing up all this old past that I'm not ready to confront in terms of my mom. And she's telling me things like, you know, she's talking to me like she knows me like, oh, you're so like your mom. Everyone loves telling you that, right? Like everyone loves saying like, oh, you're just like your parent who's dead. And it's like, they think it'll make you feel a warmth towards them or like, you'll be so grateful that someone else besides you said it, that you'll feel beholding to them and all these, you know, it was just a mess and all of these mixed emotions and exhausting, toxic feelings. And I just remember, you know, that cousin saying, you don't owe her anything, Justine, like you don't know her. And it's not on you to be the one good family connection she has, especially when, you know, you don't know her. You've never even she's barely your aunt only by name and blood. Right. But like, it's not on you to be the stranger's safe haven. And so I finally just cut off all contact. Um, admittedly, I was a total coward about it. I wasn't ready to like, try and be honest with her. Uh, like I wasn't ready to try and set boundaries via the phone and just even lay them out. I barely even knew what my boundaries were. I just knew that that I I hated being her person because I, you know, it was it was she was a stranger to me. Like I it was it was just a lot. And so I just blocked her number because I just couldn't. And I don't know now, you know, I'm sure that wasn't really the right thing to do. I should have communicated better, but I didn't know what to do. And she was just becoming so consuming. 
And then I did feel validated by that because, um, or validated in doing that because then she called my sister. My sister didn't answer. Um, she somehow found my partner Evan's email and emailed him. He just didn't answer. That one was really creepy. I don't know how she had it or found it. And then literally like two years later, I was in Taiwan, like waking up one morning and I had a text message and apparently she had gotten a new phone and changed her number. And the text was just like, you know, I don't know why you've decided to shut me out. And I don't know why, like, you know, you've decided to like choose their side but I'm still your aunt and I love you. You know, like that's how I knew it was her. Cause it's not like she said her name or anything. She's like, I'm still your aunt and I love you. And like, you know, if you ever want to talk, I'm here or something. And so obviously I just blocked that number too, because at that point I was like, maybe I should have communicated better or just told her like I needed her to pump the brakes or not call so much or I didn't want her crystal board and I didn't want to edit her book and I didn't want her to talk about mom. But if I had also said all those things, you know, I feel like that was everything she wanted to do. So I feel like maybe she would have accused me of trying to shut her out anyway. Um, but at the same time, the way she pursued it and the way she kept trying to contact did validate to me that that I was right in stepping away and maybe I didn't step away correctly. But I was right that she was causing more harm than good. And it was really freeing when my cousin had told me, you know, like, yeah, you don't have to be the stranger safe haven. That's not your responsibility. And I do think that that part's true. So, yeah, we were talking about that. And then I was thinking about my mom's brother and his wife. And like uh, two years after my mom died, I had to do this internship for my senior year to get credits. And I ended up doing it at a newspaper in a county where my mom's brother and wife lived. And so I ended up staying with them. And I had seen them a little bit more than I had seen the other aunt I was talking about. They had been at a couple more family functions. They showed up at uh, more events. But I remember as I got to know them that this was yet another adult who was seeking absolution or closure or resolution through me. Um, and it wasn't my uncle, it was his wife, my aunt-in-law. Uh, I remember her telling me about all of these fights her and my mom had had, and she was just kind of like presenting her case to me, right? Like justifying her actions and like how my mom should have seen it, or if my mom had only known her side, they could have been, you know, they could have had a better relationship. Um, and I remember she brought up my mom's funeral and how my dad had had, uh, her parents, my mom's parents go through the receiving line and how terrible she thought that was. Um, and I don't think she was wrong. 
about that fact, but I think that bringing it to me, a 22-year-old who, you know, I mean, I was 20 when my mom died. I had absolutely nothing to do with the funeral. Um, I took, you know, I was pretty much frozen. I didn't take much action in any way, whether I should have or not. And I just remember, you know, at the time listening to her and being like, yeah, like, and just it, it was weird. We were just like out on the porch. Uh, she always smoked weed. Um, and at the time I didn't. So I, like I was having a beer, she was high. And I remember kind of at the time feeling like we were just sort of bonding. And then later just kind of being like, that's the shit you should talk to my dad about. Like, I'm, I'm not a sounding board for all of my family's issues with each other. And it was just like, yeah, like none of them would talk to each other, or clearly communicate with each other. And so they would just do that. They would just go around and talk to everyone else about it. So then they felt understood or they felt that their side had been heard or that they had closure. But now that I'm older and now that I see that I was still young at that time and that there wasn't much for me to do, you know, like I said, I just feel like a lot of adults in my life failed me and um, used me for their own gratification or their own self-soothing. And then, you know, that leaves marks. Um, that leaves, you know, mental bookmarks where you're suddenly sucked back to this moment where you're helpless and you're just listening to someone else's pain or issue and they're telling you so that they feel better, but it makes you feel worse or it makes you see things differently or it just, they just pile, they unload their own stuff onto you. And then you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like this doesn't, this isn't even my issue, but now I have it and I carry it and I'll mentally go back to it and remember it and be angry for myself. So those were some things I was thinking about this week. Um, I think in the end, um, maybe in a way it's almost soothing because I can see how adults on both my mother and my father's sides um, didn't communicate and weren't clear about their feelings or emotions and didn't set good boundaries. And so at least I kind of know why I have struggled with that in the past and have to work on that every day consciously now. Um, but sometimes you just kind of feel sad for, for the younger person you were too, you know? I mean, you know, Obviously, when I was 22, I felt like I was an adult. When I was 25, I felt like 22 was old. I'm not sitting here at 31 saying that, you know, I was a child. But um, maybe even if I, maybe I was a little immature or I just wasn't mentally ready. But, you know, I was still young enough that I, I didn't know how to handle any of these things. Um, 
and I'm sure there's other people who are the that age and they either did or they just had to and they did it better. But not me. <laughs> so, yeah, those are just I just thought about that a lot this week and and how as we come into surely another another round of um funerals and grief and familial obligation that I need to be really, really mindful of my boundaries and what I need and how absolutely no one is owed my time or energy and that I need to protect it and also be clear about how I'm going to protect it. And hopefully I can do that better than just cutting off contact. Cause I do think that cutting off contact can be good, but I think I've done it enough where it's kind of just easier for me to do that for my own peace of mind than actually trying to maintain the relationship. And so that's something to think about and work toward. Um, but that is it for now. I think it's almost time for me to eat dinner. So quick mental health check-in. What did you do today? Um, today I worked. It was kind of exhausting. My boss is an absolute mess of a man. Um, I'm definitely going to be reminding him of lots of things and trying to keep him on track and on schedule because he doesn't remember anything. He's He'll just schedule things on top of things or he'll forget things or you'll tell him one thing one day and then the next day he'll be like, do we know why this is? And then you're like, "Uh, yeah, it's because of this. I told you. Um, but I worked and I'm finally doing this and I should beta read. And then I also just want to hang out with Evan because I'm tired. Um, how is your mental health? All in all, I think my mental health is good. I think I'm trying to work through and process, um, you know, some of these things that I talked about today, but also I think that I'm finally in a place where that feels good and that feels necessary. And I feel like I'm actually studying them and thinking about them without, you know, being triggered into anxiety or um, having overwhelming anger or just stewing over these things. I think I'm actually processing them and trying to learn from them and grow from them and then leave them behind. Um, Work is stupid if I'm being honest, but like it's easy to leave behind. I can come home and actually be here and do the things I need to do. So in a way that means work's great, right? As long as I'm not bringing it home with me, I don't, I don't really think it's, uh, it matters if I like it or not almost. Um, I think it's when I start bringing it home or thinking about it a lot that it becomes an actual issue for me. Um, and I've been good. I've I've been doing stuff with my family. I've been trying to make my way through lists and the things I want to do while also telling myself that when I don't do that, it's okay. So I think I'm doing all right uh, mental health-wise. Number three, what do you need to do tomorrow? Um, I'll be working again. I need to beta read some more. I really want to get this book over with because I'm starting to feel stressed out about not getting any of my own blog stuff or Evan's stream stuff done. So I'm just going to try to do some laundry, going to try to do some self-care, going to try to read through this book and get it over with so then I can move on to the next step of my life and focus on um, my own hobbies. Uh, number four, what have you done for yourself lately? 
Um, I've done a lot. I've kind of been stressing a little bit about money, but I'm just budgeting and keeping my planner and doing both of those things to try and keep myself on track and help myself feel like I'm in control. Um, I won't have a full picture of everything until we wrap up this month and then I'll be able to set new goals and move forward and start all over again. So I'm just letting that be the next step and I'm trying not to um, stew on it any more than that. Uh, This weekend, uh, I... My sister's been working a lot and has been really tired. So Sunday, uh, Evan, me, and my brother, we spent all day. We built a fireplace in the backyard so that we can have s'mores and hang out. We knew that my sister would like that. We um, we like built half of a patio where we poured a quickcrete into buckets, and then we put um, really nice um, varnish poles in them so then we could hang um, I don't know what it's called, like an overhang, right? Like an umbrella overhang, but not an umbrella, just more of a sheet, um, and string little white fairy lights around it so we can have a nice, like shady covering over our patio. So we spent all day yesterday doing that. Um, Saturday I beta read some more to do that. I hung out with Evan. Uh, like I said, we've had a lot of family dinners, um, I've just poured time and energy into my family and into the things I need to be doing. And that's what I've done for me. Um, I will say another thing I've done for myself too is um, some of the guys at work that I work with have engaged in gossip and they say a lot of mean things about the clients we serve or about each other. And I'm maintaining distance and I'm refusing to engage in that. Um, and that's what I'm doing for me because I, I refuse to resent this job or to hate the people I work with in like really horrible feeling ways. Um, I joke about not liking the job or them, but I want it to remain lighthearted in terms of when I walk out that door, it leaves me, it drops away. I leave it behind. I come home and it's like, I don't think about it as long as I can do that then I, I'm calling that a win and I'm saying that that's what I'm doing for me. I'm refusing to engage in the nastiness or the toxicity. I'm refusing to become a part of the office culture in that way because I'm not interested, because I've already been there, done that. Um, and so I'm, I'm staying me and I'm also making sure that this job doesn't become one where I dive into being a workaholic or where I become all consumed with it in terms of importance. I leave and it's not important. I come back, I step in the door, it's important. I do my job, I do it well, and then I'm done again. So I'm also doing that for me. Uh, Number five, one thing that made you happy. Hmm. Uh, Evan and I have started rewatching Steven Universe. Um, that show is a goddamn delight. It, it makes me very happy. I cannot recommend it enough. It is 11 minutes per episode. It's an animated child show, but it is not just for children. It is truly a sweet and kind and safe show that looks at all areas and walks of life and all people 
that you may or may not encounter. And it just has really good messaging and really good um, relationships and thoughts. And they deal with some really hard hitting subject matter, but it's all done with a pure and kind and compassionate eye. And I love it. So we've been doing that. Um, like I said, we've had a lot of family meals. We had Beyond Burgers last night, which is the most delicious burger to ever not be a burger. I love them so much. Um, and I think tonight we're going to do s'mores over the fire for the first time. So that will definitely make me happy. Getting this done is going to make me happy because like I said, I tried to do it Saturday because I was trying to be all prepared. Like I'll get it done before Sunday. I'll still have it up on time. And then my neighbor was just mowing and being so loud. So I just, uh, I stopped and then I got distracted with other things and never came back. So So, yeah, that's that. Um, I'm sorry if this episode, or if I'm sorry if you're listening, first off, and this episode was heavy or, uh, you know, if not having names or me just kind of rattling off these weird personal stories was not what you expected or wanted today. <laughs> um, but it was definitely necessary for me. And that's why it's a wellness check and a mental health check-in. Um, this is a personal journal and it's for me. And I guess that that's what I need to talk about today. So if you listened and you heard what I was saying or trying to say, and you understand or you felt it, um, know that I see you and I've experienced those things too. And, you know, it's not. It's not on you to maintain those relationships or to be a rock for someone who's never even been your pebble, right? Um, and that's a good reminder that if you're in a bunch of relationships that are just one-way streets, you have every right to either set larger boundaries, taller boundaries, safer boundaries. You have right to conserve your energy and time for yourself and the people who are mattered and who do make your soul feel good. And I don't know if this is the right thing or not, but I'm here to tell you that if cutting someone off for your own sanity is what you need to do, and if the moment you think that they're cut off and you no longer have to deal with them, you feel relief, then I'm here to tell you to do it. Um, I'm here to tell you that Maybe it's not the perfect and most mature or um, best way to do it. But if that's what you need, and if you're struggling to do it in any other way, um, you still deserve it. Even if it's not the, the right way to do it, um, you still deserve to do it. You still owe that to yourself. So... Be as clear and communicative as you can be. Obviously, some people, they aren't even going to hear you anyway. Um, that's a case-by-case -case basis. So if that's something you're dealing with, I hear you. I see you. And however you do it, you deserve it. You deserve to just do it and conserve your energy and your time 
for the people who love you and see you and who have been there for you and who do see your value and your worth and who respect your boundaries and your energy. So good luck this week. I hope you do something for you and I'll see you next time.